Well, hello and uh, welcome to Citizens once again. Um, I'm just so thankful to be a part of this community and actually to have uh, Jason as, as my pastor, especially in, um, in times like this. And so I just really appreciate the time and the words that he, uh, he shared. Um, but thank you for being here. So glad uh, to be able to worship with you guys. Uh, you know, for the past month and a half, uh, we've been in a series titled The Church That We Long For. Uh, we believe that there are certain characteristics that we as a church want to embody that Jesus makes very clear in his teachings. Uh, and this is a series for, um, for all of us to join uh, together in building uh, this, church, this church and community together. Just want to do a really quick recap of uh, kind of where we've been. You know, we long to be a church that abides in Jesus, uh, to be deeply connected to him, because that's the goal, to become more like him. Uh, we want to be a church uh, that contends for the weak, uh, the vulnerable, uh, for the least of these. Uh, we want to be a church that strengthens one another, understanding that we all come from different walks of life, uh, different traditions and culture. We want to help each other and lift each other up to experience God's love and grace. Uh, we also want to be a church that confesses to one another. Uh, we want to be seen as who we are and deeply loved and embraced. Uh, we also want to make, uh, we want to be a church that makes disciples, followers of Jesus uh, in the way that we do relationships and how we serve our community. We want to point others to the love of Christ. And so, you know, all those messages are available on YouTube, and I want to encourage you guys to uh, go back and listen to me if you haven't had the chance already. And today we're going to be closing uh, with the church that sacrifices, the church that sacrifices. So if you have your Bibles, Please go ahead and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12, and we're going to read the first two verses. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen for you to uh, follow along. But let's give our full attention as I read this uh, passage for us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. You know, sacrifice is a, is a complicated word. I think depending on uh, the context in which it is used and even portrayed, it can um, produce different feelings within us. You know, we hear stories of people giving up or laying down their lives for others, uh, this is a type of sacrifice that I think universally is celebrated. It moves our hearts. It's inspiring. Uh, and some of our favorite movies kind of show this idea of sacrifice. You know, we have Captain Miller and his second ranger battalion in Saving Private Ryan, Harry Stamper in Armageddon, Iron Man in uh, Avengers Endgame, uh, we have Bing Bong in Inside Out. And uh, hopefully that covers the entire demographic of our community. And if you don't have any idea of what I'm saying, uh, that's your homework for this week. Uh, watch those movies. It's also one of those words that, um, that we hear our parents say a lot. Uh, you know, most of us, we come from, uh, you know, first-generation immigrants who left everything uh, and came here. Uh, for the American dream and to provide a better life uh, for their children. And so we hear them saying, do you know how much I've sacrificed 
for you to be in this position. It's really a way to guilt us, uh, to have us try harder. But when this word moves into a religious space, I think it has another effect. It can be triggering. Uh, We can put up our guards immediately when we hear this word, sacrifice. You know, for some of us, we grew up in a church or had a church experience where uh, sacrifice, the amount of sacrifice was correlated to your prestige or uh, the amount of influence you will receive. It will give you a position within the church. Maybe uh, you were taught growing up in uh, the church that the measure of sacrifice uh, will be seen in uh, the measure of blessings that you will receive. And so if your life is not going the way that you wanted it to go, it's it's because you haven't sacrificed enough. And then there are others that are sitting here today where you have sacrificed to the brink of exhaustion. Uh, You're on the edge of burnout. And she's like, hey, DC, don't talk about sacrifice. I've sacrificed enough. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. You know, there's an uneasiness that we feel when we combine sacrifice with religion. And I think the primary reason why that is is because we understand it in a transactional term. It's a transactional idea of sacrifice. Right? In ancestral worship, what do you do? You offer something to the dead so that they can intervene, help you out, to get you out of that difficult situation. You know, in Buddhism, there isn't really a sacrificial system, but desires is the cause of suffering. And so what Buddhists will say, and the teachings of Buddhism, is that you got to detach yourself from your desires. You have to deny those very things to experience enlightenment, to be freed of suffering. Then we have this, you know, Greek, Greek mythology or in ancient Greece, the practice of animal sacrifices to appease the gods, to appease their anger, to gain their favor, right? for your prayers to be answered. And then today, we have one of the most warped teachings of Christianity that says that if you give to God, he'll give you back a hundredfold. And this is what we called prosperity gospel. You know, before we talk about the church that sacrifices, I think we have to do some healthy deconstruction of this idea of sacrifice. You know, and part of the angst that we feel when it comes to this idea of sacrifice is the Bible itself. Sacrifice is everywhere in the biblical storyline. The first of which where God sacrifices an animal to clothe Adam and Eve before they're sent out of the garden. Cain and Abel, we see them offering their respective sacrifices to God, one that is accepted and one that is rejected. We see it in the story of Noah, the story of Abraham. But it's not until we reach the third book of the Bible, Leviticus, where sacrifices develop into this complex system of rituals and ceremonies. These were instituted by God. They were commanded by God. And so, but if we're not careful readers of the Bible, we may not see any difference between the Greek gods and this God that we worship, this transactional nature of sacrifice, where God is seen as being petty, right, and temperamental. And so the thought process kind of goes like this for many of us. God is holy, he is perfect, he is just, and he is good. But we are not. 
We're sinners. We're defiled. We're we're, uh, rebellious. And so because of this difference, God's disposition towards us is anger, hatred. We are a mistake away from being condemned and judged by God. And I want to say this is a reductionistic reading of the Bible and an understanding of God that is, is, is so, it's overly simplistic. You know, it's important to know what came before Leviticus, before all these rituals and ceremonies. God had just rescued his people, the Israelites, from 400 years of slavery. Before any sacrifice, before any laws, before the Ten Commandments, by God's loving grace, he rescued his people. Now they're in the wilderness. They are on their way to the promised land. And the wilderness was a necessary journey for them to unlearn their slave life and become children of God. And this was a very frustrating and painful process, this idea of unlearning and relearning what it means to be God's people. You know, in our family, I'm, I'm the designated potty trainer. Um, I've, I've potty trained my first two kids, and the third one, Dylan, uh, she, she was the hardest by far. Uh, the diaper was something that she felt so secure about. It was her safety blanket. And so getting her to sit down on her training toilet, it, it, was, it, was, it was a battle every single day. She would scream and cry, and I had to bribe her with candy. Just sit down. Um, but then after that is the transitional toilet where you put a little seat on top of the real toilet, and that was a whole other battle. But what I told her is, hey, Dylan, don't you want to go to school? Don't you want to play with your friends? In order for you to do that, you gotta, you got to be potty trained. And this was a message I shared with her again and again and again, but it was such a difficult process because that's what she was familiar with. That is what she was used to. This process of unlearning and relearning. The wilderness was that for the Israelites. See, God wanted Israel to be not only physically free, out of chains, but spiritually, emotionally. But what we saw over over again, again and again, is Israel grumbling, rebelling, even thinking about going back to Egypt to their slave life. And the amazing thing about God is that he constantly shows up. He draws near to his rebellious people, offering his presence, offering to be with them. So at the end of Exodus, what God does is he gives them a blueprint for the tabernacle, which was an enormous tent that was to be in the center of the community that would represent his dwelling place. God is saying, I want to be with you. You're going to need me to be with you in order for you to understand what it means to be my people. And so he gives them this amazing gift. But in order for God to dwell in this space, the space needed to be holy. And so one thing that we learn, if you read Leviticus, and most people don't, that's where the Bible, uh, one-year Bible planning actually ends, is at Leviticus, is we learn about the comprehensive nature of sin. Not only does sin grieve God's heart, but actually destroys communities. 
It creates systems of inequality and injustice. It infects and it corrupts every aspect of life. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, the effects of sin, vandalizing communities. And sin is is something not, not on the outside, actually. Sin is actually deeply embedded in each and every one of us. So the question becomes, how does God be amongst a sinful people without violating his justice? How can he deal with sin that is within without destroying his people? That's the question that we need to ask. Sacrifices was God's solution to this problem. Now, there were five different types of sacrifices God instituted. Right? We have burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, and restitution offerings, all serving different purposes. But how it typically worked was you take an animal, you slaughter it, and this animal served as a symbolic substitute. And it reminded Israel how costly and devastating sin was. But it also comforted them, knowing that God's justice would be satisfied through this substitute and not through me. But in addition to all the sacrifices, there were festivals and purity rituals. All of it had to be observed in order for God's presence to dwell with them. And the process was tedious. One misstep, you would die. Right, we, we thought the, the, the restrictions and the, the hoops that we had to jump through throughout the pandemic was rough. That was nothing compared to this. And what we see in all these rituals and ceremonies is not only, God's gracious, not only God graciously wanting to be with his people, but a desire for his people to thrive and flourish as a nation. And so God's law wasn't designed to suffocate our lives. God's law was given for us to experience deeper joy, lasting joy. So the tabernacle and the sacrificial system was God's way of being near his people and an opportunity for his people to enter into a relationship with God. It was about relationship. You know, my family loves Disneyland. Uh, Notice I didn't say our family. My family loves Disneyland because I am not included in that. Uh, It's like pulling teeth for me to go to Disneyland. Um, It's just too many people, uh, too much waiting, and there was one time where we actually lost our, our, our second child, Devin, for about 30 to 45 seconds. I was freaking out. I was literally freaking out, just running all over the place looking for her. And so, you know, one of our goals every time we go to Disneyland is we, we got we to gotta go in with four and come out with four. I mean, that's seriously, that's one of our, it's like, it's like a low bar, but it's like for us is real. Um, and now each time we go in, we have a pep talk with our kids. Stay close to mom and dad. Don't ever leave our side. And, you know, for our kids, they're, they're young. They see it as restricting. Why are you trying to ruin our fun? But for us as parents, it's because we love them. 
We care for them. We want to protect them. You know, God's law serves that same function. We think it's suffocating, but no, God wants to increase our joy. You know, we think God is hungry for attention or just needy for us to worship him, but he actually knows what we need. We need him. We need him in our lives. And so as Israel grew into a great nation, the tabernacle was replaced by the temple. And sacrifices still remained central in the worship of Israel. But over time, something happened. God grew tired of these sacrifices. Instead of growing in a relationship with God, it just became a religious ritual that was practiced. And so then we get passages like this in Isaiah 1, verse 11. This is God speaking. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. He's tired of sacrifices. See, what was meant to deepen one's trust in God Instead, it turned into a transaction. And by the time Jesus enters the scene, the conditions of the temple got worse. See, the temple had four main areas. As you enter in, the first main area is the court of the Gentiles. It's the biggest space. The next layer in was the court of women. And after that was the court of men. This was reserved for circumcised Jews. And the last place at the center was the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. And on one of these visits to the temple, Jesus saw in the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, vendors occupying that space. They turned it into a marketplace. When it was a space supposed to be for outsiders, for travelers to experience and encounter God, Instead, it turned into a place of embezzlement where these vendors would take advantage of outsiders. And what were they selling? They were selling animals for burnt offerings. And what do we see Jesus do? He flips over the tables and he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers, complete misappropriation, a complete misuse of the temple, a misuse of sacrifices. You know, when we talk about this biblical idea of sacrifice, it sounds so barbaric and so primitive. And it's so hard for us to relate. We don't, we don't, we don't do this. We don't make sacrifices. But when we take an honest look at our lives, we actually do. It might not be in the same form or expression, but we all make sacrifices. We sacrifice for the things that we believe will give us meaning, significance, and worth. You know, one philosopher shared it this way. It's a really interesting observation. Not only do we sacrifice for objects, but we also create sacred objects in our sacrificing. Really interesting. Sports is a prime example of that. Sports is not sacred. It's sacred because we sacrifice for it. 
We spend money on season tickets. We buy its apparel. We read on articles. We spend time watching it. Americans have made football sacred. You know, I'm originally from Seattle, and our, our football team, the Seahawks, it, it truly is a religion up there. Uh, during football season, there's something called Blue Fridays. Blue Fridays. Every Friday, you wear your Seahawks jersey to work. And if you go to downtown, LA, or downtown Seattle, all you see is a sea of blue. No matter what type of work that you're doing, you can wear a jersey. And I bought into this cult as well. Uh, you know, actually, churches would reschedule their service times for football games. I'm not joking. So that people will attend church. It's a religion up there. And, and, and my wife, Jane, has seen me worship the Seahawks. Like, I literally scared her um, a number of times because of my reactions to football games. You know, when we lost in 2015 to the Patriots, Jane also saw me go into a dark place. But also the entire city, actually, there was an overwhelming sense of darkness in Seattle. I I'm still trying to get over it. It's, it's not easy. You know, sacrifice is humanity's way of creating meaning in life. Think about it. We sacrifice to create meaning for ourselves. And so it's not reserved only in the religious space. It's actually found everywhere. We will expend our energy, our resources, and even relationships for the very things that we believe are transcendent. For some, it's fame and success. For others, it's financial security. Maybe it's marriage, having children, purchasing that dream home, your physical appearance. It might be the acceptance and approval of others. And what we're after in all of these things that we're pursuing and we're sacrificing for is wholeness. We want to feel wholeness. We want to experience deep satisfaction. And actually, God has created us this way. God has created us with eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11. But here's a sobering truth. Some of us will even use religion as a means to obtain these sacred objects. It goes something like this. You know, I go to church. I serve. I give my tithes. Why is my life not going the way I want it to? Why am I not getting that promotion? Why am I still single? Why are my loved ones still sick? You know, the aim of many of our religion isn't actually God. It's the things that we believe God can get for us. Transactional sacrifice. You know, let's say hypothetically, after service, I go to Jane and say, hey, I, let's have our fifth child. First, she might smack me across the face, but then she might ask me why. And I say, I, you know, tax benefits. I heard you get more back from the government, the more children you have. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Not because not I love you. Not because, you know, I, I love parenting with you. I love having a family with you. But because of financial reasons, 
Let's have a fifth. It's, it's ridiculous. It's a misappropriation of marriage. It's a misappropriation of family. But I think we do this with God. When we believe there's something greater than God himself that we can gain from worshiping him, we do this. You see, there's a fundamental difference between religion and what Christianity teaches. Because religion at the core is very self-focused. You follow the rules, you obey the laws, you offer your sacrifices for what? To avoid hell, to get heaven, so that children will behave, so life would be good. The end game of religion is me. Christianity, on the other hand, teaches that you get the transcendent God to be your heavenly father. You get God. You get his acceptance. You are his. He is yours. You get all these things not by the gifts you offer him. It's not by the sacrifices you offer him. You get all of that by the grace he offers you. You know, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was a necessary provision for Israel to be in communion with God. But it didn't resolve the problem of sin because they had to give these sacrifices year after year after year. Anxiety after anxiety, angst after angst. But God will provide one final sacrifice that will end all sacrifices. But instead of an animal, he'll provide a man. But it, not any man will do. Not just any man will do. This man had to be spotless, blameless, perfectly righteous, without sin. And his blood would have to pay off a debt of an infinite kind. Because that's what sin is. It's an infinite debt that we cannot pay. And Jesus is the only one that was qualified to do this. Fully God, fully man. He lived in perfect righteousness, but he died in our place on that cross as our substitute. He satisfied God's justice for us. See, faith in Jesus not only atones for our sins, but it makes us his children. It makes us God's children. Now sinners are justified, fully accepted by God. And the very spirit of God takes residence in our hearts, a permanent dwelling place. We are, as we are God's dwelling place by his Holy Spirit. All a gift of grace. We made no contribution to this amazing blessing that we have in the gospel. And so what grace seeks to do is radically transform what? Our motivation. Our motivation. There is no need for us to transact with God because Jesus paid it all. It's no longer that I have to sacrifice, but now that I am free to sacrifice, I don't have to give, I get to give. There's nothing left to prove to God because Jesus has proven it all on your behalf. On that cross, Jesus took our shame. In exchange, he gave us love and acceptance. 
He removed our sin-stained clothing and dressed us in his perfect righteousness. He conquered death and he gave us eternal life. Church, we sacrifice from freedom, not for freedom. And that is why Paul says in our passage, in view of God's mercy, not for God's mercy, but as recipients of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean for the church to be a living sacrifice? You know, priests were given the responsibility to oversee the sacrificial system. They would be the one, they're the ones who actually offered and slaughtered the animal on behalf of the people. They represented God to the people and represented uh, uh, the, the people to God. And so they stood in the gap, both for God and for people. But like the sacrificial system, the priesthood was a temporary office in the Old Covenant because God's plan was to create a kingdom of priests where everyone belonging to him would mediate the knowledge and the presence and the love of God. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is what Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, a priesthood of believers. So yes, I am vocationally a pastor, but all of us who belong to Jesus have a priestly ministry a priesthood of believers. We are all priests. You have a ministry. God has bestowed upon you amazing gifts that you are to offer to him to mediate the ministry, the love and grace of Jesus. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with, with In-N-Out. Because even, even if I ate a meal... Every time I drive by In-N-Out, it's just that smell. The you just know it's In-N-Out. You're close by In-N-Out. It's the grilled onions. So even if I ate, I'm hungry again every time I drive by In-N-Out. And so I have to get my fix. You know, In-N-Out in has evangelism down. They don't even have to try. They're just there grilling those onions and people just come. And I think the church should have a similar effect. When people experience this community, they might not know that they're hungry, but by the love and grace that is experienced here, they can't help but want something from this church. You know, I, I can only imagine the lingering smoke, because I don't know if you've been all, all around a campfire, that, that smell stays with you for a really, really long time. Imagine these priests constantly offering up sacrifices, these burnt offerings. Imagine what they smell like. You know, a living sacrifice is someone who carries the aroma of Jesus everywhere they go. They carry the aroma of Jesus everywhere they go. To live in such a way that reflects the love, grace, just, justice, and mercy of Jesus. This idea of a living sacrifice also means that worship is not confined to a space and a time. 
each and every day, we are to live as sacrifices unto Jesus. As we go to work, we are called to mediate the presence of Jesus to our coworkers by our integrity, our diligence, and our faithfulness. As we spend time at home with our spouse and with other children, in our friendships, in relationship, every single sphere of life, we are to live as an aroma to Jesus. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And as citizens, we hope that if you come here, that you will smell Jesus, that you will get his aroma. But we also want to do this for our city. And as Jason shared, this next month of July, we're going to invite you to join us in being that aroma for our city. You know, for those that are actually on the brink of burnout, you're exhausted, um, resting is a part of your sacrifice as well. It is an act of worship. So take time to rest and care for yourself. That is worship to God. And we, as a community, want to help you rest to rest well. And that means all of us are being faithful to the ministry that God has given us. You know, this series was an opportunity to share about the church, but again, it's an invitation for all of us to join. All of us to join, to be a church that abides, to be a church that contends, to be a church that strengthens, that confesses, that makes disciples, and for us to sacrifice so that others can experience the goodness of Jesus our Savior. So let's do this together. Let's contend together. Let's strengthen one another. Let's fight this battle of faith together for God's glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the series that you, you took us through to understand what you desire from us as your church. Father, we need your help because community is tough. Relationships are tough. We are bound to find people we disagree with, um, people that hurt us, um, expectations that aren't met. But God, we know uh, that if we look to you and that we continue to center ourselves in grace, uh, that you can uh, make us into that city uh, that shines brightly the love of Christ to others. God, we pray for this broken world, for all the divisions that, that are all around us. Help us to be that alternative community that loves each other deeply despite our differences, that really fights together, uh, that serves one another, that offers our entire self as a living sacrifice. And as we do, God, may we experience your delight. May it not just be duty, but may we experience delight as we serve you. We give you all the praise and glories. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.